Well, welcome to module one, uh, diagnosis uh, and uh, identifying appropriate tests and support decision-making in the diagnosis of PDC. I'm Jim Boyer. I'm a professor of medicine at Yale University School of Medicine, and I've had a lifelong career uh, with patients with PDC, and I'm happy to be talking to you uh, today. A little background about the disease. It's a chronic cholestatic disorder, uh, uh, thought to be the, one of the most the most common in, in, in cholestatic disease in the adult chronic disease. Uh, it has a <clears throat> rather low, low prevalence in the population. So it's known as an orphan disease. Prevalence is around anywhere from 20 to uh, 400 per million uh, patients. Uh, it uh, varies greatly geographically um, <clears throat> and uh, is said to cluster around uh, environmental, uh, environmental contamination sites, Superfund sites in the United States, and, and also to, to uh, uh, industrialized uh, areas. Uh, and there's some feeling that it's caused by uh, heavy metal uh, contamination that triggers the disease in somebody who is genetically uh, predisposed to 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 uh, to to get this uh, it's a predominantly a, a disease in, in middle-aged women um, and uh, one out of ten are males um, it can present both asymptomatically or symptomatically and when it uh, presents with symptoms they're usually fatigue uh, or pruritus. Uh, there can be associated symptoms, uh, dry uh, mouth, uh, dry eyes. Uh, sometimes they can develop uh, uh, fluid retention in the ankles and abdomen. Uh, and as shown in the figure to the right, they can uh, patients can develop uh, fatty deposits of cholesterol uh, in the skin and in the eyes, known as xanthomata or xanthelasma. Picture shows the skin here where the eruption of cholesterol deposits uh, in these patients. This is an uncommon finding now, but as the disease is usually picked up before this uh, problem occurs. Associated disorders in PBC include Sjogren's, which is the dry eyes and dry eyes and mouth, uh, hypothyroidism, uh, celiac disease, a rheumatoid-like arthritis. And these patients often get uh, cholesterol gallstones. To make the diagnosis in this disorder, you have to have at least two of the following. Uh, the most important one is the elevation of alkaline phosphatase. If you don't have an elevation of this enzyme in, in your blood, then it's very unlikely that you have a cholestatic disorder. The alkaline phosphatase is also a marker of prognosis. Uh, the hallmark of PVC is the presence of anti-mitochondrial antibodies in the serum, and 95% of patients will have a positive uh, AMA. <clears throat> the liver biopsies uh, show what is shown in the right-hand panel here, and that is what we call a florid bile duct lesion. This is the bile duct itself. This is a hepatic artery over here, and this bile duct is surrounded by a chronic inflammatory infiltrate that is uh, destroying the, the duct system itself. 
And there's an also associated macrophages here. They're the beginning of what we call a granuloma. So this is the classic fluorid duct lesion that's essentially pathognomonic of PVC. Now, occasional patients have negative AMAs. They can also have these patients can be often detected with an other type of antimonoclonal antibody called SP100 or GP210. The laboratory evaluations in the disease, uh, typically the alkaprostase, as I mentioned, is, is elevated. They're usually only mild elevations of the liver enzymes, the aminotransferases. The bilirubin is usually normal at diagnosis, but increases as the disease progresses. Uh, and as I've already indicated, the AMA is positive in 95%. The anti-nuclear antibody is also positive in these patients, maybe in half of the cases. It does not mean that there's an overlap with autoimmune hepatitis. Uh, it's just a, another autoimmune marker. Uh, there are some patients who have auto overlap disease, uh, but not, it's not based on the presence of the ANA. Uh, smooth muscle antibody is another antibody that can be detected in about half cases. And the immunoglobulins, the immunoglobulin M may be elevated because there is a, a defect in conversion of immunoglobulin M to, to uh, uh, mature uh, globulins. Now, what about uh, imaging modalities? It's often uh, useful to get an ultrasound uh, since uh, these patients uh, often have uh, gallbladder disease, gallstorm, gallstones, and uh, ultrasound is very useful in uh, picking this uh, abnormality up. Uh, if the patients have cirrhosis, however, you would want to image them with, with MRI uh, on an annual uh, basis uh, to detect uh, liver cancer. But liver cancer is very unusual, particularly in the females, a little more common in the males with, with PBC. Uh, but, uh, and of course, it can detect other other uh, processes going on. And there is an increased incidence of colon cancer and some other malignancies uh, in PVC. What about transient elastography and, and fiber scan? These, these uh, uh, modalities uh, detect the stiffness of the liver and therefore are a reflection of the amount of scarring or fibrosis in the, in the liver. Uh, every physician's office ought to uh, have a fiber scan where you can make a measurement uh, right away. And they're useful uh, for detecting the progression of the disease. Uh, and fiber scans should be done or transient elastography uh, really on an annual basis. So in summary, PBC is an orphan disease, chronic cholestatic disease, uh, most common in women and uh, has progresses uh, uh, usually uh, over the years uh, uh, till, uh, till the liver is decompensated and needs to have a liver transplantation. So one question ar arises, which is when uh, should a patient uh, with PBC be referred to a specialist? Uh, and usually the specialists are a gastroenterologist, or most particularly a, a, a liver specialist, a hepatologist, period. Well, if you're a primary care uh, physician, 
and you have a patient, a uh, middle-aged woman uh, with an elevated alkaline phosphatase, you're going to want to, uh, to uh, perform some of the diagnostic tests. And if you suspect PVC, I think you should send it on to a hepatologist or gastroenterologist because uh, of the treatment decisions uh, that uh, need to be made. Are, are really the purview of the, uh, and the expertise of, of these uh, subspecialists. Um, if you're a gastroenterologist and, and if you don't feel comfortable uh, with the management of the disease, then definitely uh, send, uh, also send the patient to a hepatologist. Uh, this is bread and butter for most hepatologists and uh, they're the best ones to, uh, to follow your patient.